trust that's an expression of our hearts. Thank you, team, for leading us in worship this morning. I just want to give a plug. I thank Aaron for making that announcement for us this morning about the seminar coming up on the weekend. This is the last weekend that we'll be able to register, and so we encourage, encourage you to do that this morning. It's $20 for each person, and that's to cover the cost of the food for on the Friday night, and then again on the Saturday, and then again, Todd will be speaking here on Sunday morning. Todd and Tandy come from Jupiter, Florida, They're coming up for the weekend, and uh, that's the church where Cynthia and I um, participated in while we lived in Florida for two years, and Todd is a tremendous communicator of God's Word. You will not want to miss this opportunity. It's an exceptional opportunity. Not only is he the family life pastor at Grace Emanuel in Florida, but he has years of biblical counseling. And so he not only teaches the Word of God accurately and is committed to living under its authority, but he also has been a biblical counselor involved in, in people's lives, and he will model what he's teaching as he's amongst us. Please don't miss this opportunity to sit under the teaching of God's Word. It's a unique opportunity for us. And so see Glenn or or Steve today before you leave, please. I don't know what you were doing last Sunday afternoon. Think back a week. But listen to this report. Team Canada's instant classic gold medal victory over Team Russia at the 2020 Juniors attracted an average audience of 4.2 million viewers becoming TSN's most watched World Juniors game ever broadcast from Europe. Were you one of those 4.2 million people? Well, I did tune in about halfway through the third period, just before Canada fell behind 3 to 1. I thought, uh-oh, maybe I should turn the TV off. It's not a good sign. But then, just 34 seconds later, a shot from the point went off a Canadian player's skate and passed the Russian goaltender. And the turning point of the game came just two minutes and eight seconds later. The captain of the Canadian team, who wasn't even supposed to dress for the game, because he was injured in previous games, gave a rush, wrist, shot, wrist shot just inside the blue, lane, blue line that beat the Russian goaltender above his glove side into the top corner of the net. And folks, I'm sitting at 402 Fairway Road in Woodstock, Ontario, but from my perspective, at that moment, the game changed. Momentum shifted in favor of the Canadians. It was late in the third period, and there was no way the Russians had time to recover. That time cold went a long way in determining the outcome of the game. An instant classic gold medal victory for Canada. You know, life is full of those kinds of turning points. Momentum shifts. Often they are defining moments that have a lingering impact. 
They shape us, dictating who we are becoming, opportunities that we will have, who we will be and who we will not be, etc., etc. And this morning, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 17, takes us back. Back to a couple of instant classic turning points in human history. Momentum shifts. Perhaps, but certainly defining moments that continue to shape our personal destinies. Determining winners and losers. This morning we want to be considering two instant classic turning points in human history. Before we go there, here at the Rock Community Church, we have established the second Sunday of every month as the weekend when we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. The Elders Council have asked that we make these Lord's Suppers the centerpiece of our worship services on the second Sunday of the month. We don't want the Lord's Supper to ever feel like an add-on or an afterthought or an extra extra or like two for the price of one Sundays. The Apostle Paul in his instructions or more accurately in his corrections to the people who are worshiping at the church in Corinth Concerning their celebrations of the Lord's Supper, he wrote this. It's a warning. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks, of the, drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the blood of the body and the blood of the Lord. Beloved, those are sobering words. You and I can participate in this Lord's Supper, in an unworthy manner. We want to ensure, as much as we are able, to avoid that. By the way, that I'm not for a moment suggesting that we have to clean ourselves up in order to participate. What it does mean is that we need to prepare. We come thoughtfully, respectfully, examining ourselves, our relationship with God, in a spirit of gratitude for all that Christ has done for us. And so on these second Sundays of the month, we typically take a break from our present sermon series and focus on a passage of scripture that highlights the the sacrifice and the implications of that sacrifice that these symbols represent. Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now having said all of that, 
I want to, to invite us to continue to make our way through this Romans chapter 5 passage. A number of months ago we began, well look how chapter 5 begins. Therefore, having been justified by faith. In verses 1 through 6, the Apostle Paul lays out benefits of having been justified. We looked at those. We discovered six of them. In verses 7 through 11, we focused on the agent of our justification, namely Jesus Christ. We discovered him to be rescuer, substitute, demonstrator, and deliverer. Jesus delivers us from God's wrath to a brand new relationship with God. And that brings us to the section that we want to focus on this morning as we prepare to participate in the Lord's Supper. If you are able, I'm going to invite you to stand with me for the reading from God's Word. I'll begin reading at verse 12 and read down to the end of verse 17. So beginning in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Therefore, just as, though, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses even over those who had not sinned in, in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one, of the, one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from the one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who received the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, you are the transcendent one. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Your ways are higher than our ways. And yet, we dare not de deny your imminence. Where can we go from your spirit? Where can we flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If we make our bed in the depths, you are there. If we rise on the wings of the dawn, if we settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide us. Your right hand will hold us fast. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ. 
But finally, the written word was inspired and supernaturally preserved so that we now have access to reliable copies of your special revelation. And it contains all that we need to live lives that please and honor you. Help us not only to hear it, read it, study it, but to ponder it, to seek to understand it, and then enable us to respond appropriately so that it transforms our minds and eventually our words and our deeds, even our actions and our reactions. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. As I was studying this passage of scripture earlier this week, I came across a couple of comments. Here's one. It is universally agreed that the passage before us is one of the greatest theological sections in the entire Bible. And later, that same author, just a few sentences later actually, he wrote, it is also commonly agreed that Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, is, the, is among the most difficult passages in Romans, if not the entire New Testament, to understand. Yikes. <laughs> Beloved, I will do my best to be clear and concise. Albert Einstein, I believe, was the one who said, we should make things as simple as possible, but not simpler than they are. That's our challenge this morning. And that's why I always lead in prayer, by the way. We need God's help. I divided these sections into two parts, or two sections, these verses. And so it's a two-point sermon this morning. doesn't necessarily mean it's shorter, but there will be two parts. Part one is verses 12 to 14, and part two is verses 15 to 17. It's like a two-act play. And notice verse 12 begins with that word again, that little word, therefore. And I've been taught in Bible interpretation classes, when you come across therefore, you should always ask, what's it there for? And so we need to read verse 11, what was just said previously, because somehow that's related to what Paul is going to say in these verses. Notice verse 11. And not only this, but we exalt, also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. What's that telling us, that verse, verse 11? What's it saying? We exalt or celebrate God because through Jesus we have been reconciled to him. Meaning that we've been brought into a right relationship or how did we put it earlier? From to a brand new relationship with God. Verse 11 is telling us that something has happened 
that we should celebrate. In fact, that's exactly what we're going to be doing as we come to the Lord's Supper. The New Living Translation reads, verse 11 reads, So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Therefore, verse 12 begins and continues, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. That one man referred to here in Verse in chapter 5, verse 12, is actually the first man. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. I've titled this first point, Man's Problem, Adam's Transgression, Delivered Inescapable Guilt. By the way, you'll want to take note that in the Apostle Paul's mind, that Genesis account of God's creation is absolutely true. It's a historic event that took place. As far as, he was, as Paul is concerned, Adam and Eve are real people whose actions created consequences for all humanity. Consequences that you and I continue to wrestle with to this very day. You may also may want to check out Matthew chapter 14 verses 4 and 6 because Jesus held to the same view. They're real people and it's a historic account. Now most of you will be familiar with this biblical account of creation and how God created everything from nothing by speaking it into existence. Eventually, he made Adam the first man. Let's pick up the story in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but... From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from them, eat from it, you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And he created Eve as a suitable helper Adam. Drop down to chapter 3 and notice verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And you know the story. Eve was deceived and ate fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then she gave some to her husband, Adam. It's important to note that Eve was deceived <clears throat> when she sinned. But Adam, 
Well, Adam, in a conscious, willful act of disobedience, ate the fruit that God had forbidden from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the consequences of that transgression, that breaking of God's commandment, that act of disobedience, were devastating. Devastating for the serpent, for Eve, for Adam, for all of humanity, and indeed, even for God's creation, the physical world. But look specifically in chapter 3 and verse, beginning at verse 17. Here's the consequences as spelled out for Adam. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till, re till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This was what was in the Apostle Paul's mind. This historic event when he wrote Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 14. The consequences of Adam's transgression. And I've identified four specific consequences laid out here in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 14. Verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world. So as a result of Adam's transgression, sin entered into the world. And Paul just states it as a fact. It's not up for debate in Paul's mind. It's a reality. He doesn't try to prove it. He's not looking for you to question it or to bait him on it. In fact, I'd suggest that we just underline it. Sin entered the world. Thank you very much, Adam. Talk about pointing the finger at someone. But let's continue reading. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin. As a result of Adam's transgression, death entered our world. Remember Genesis chapter 2, verse 17? God had told Adam, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. But the de devil, disguised as a serpent, what did he say to Eve? You surely will not die. So they ate. And they died. Their spiritual death was immediate. Instantaneous. They were put out of the garden. And they no longer enjoyed that 
walk with their God in the cool of the day. Verse 8. Eventually, they would die physically. Genesis chapter 5, verse 5 reports, So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Beloved, death was never part of the original design. Death entered this world as a result of Adam's transgression. What a huge price to pay. His deliberate and conscious act of disobedience continues to this very day. And I'll be honest, that's why I struggle with our modern approach to these celebration of life funerals. Let me explain. And I understand it's, a, it's an attempt to, to soften one of those inescapable and harsh realities of life. I get it. But funerals are a time to weep. A time to grieve. Jesus wept at his friend Lazarus' funeral. They're also a time to be reminded of the consequence of sin. A death has just claimed another victim. Death wins. We lose. That is why a funeral is what it is. Time to weep and a time to grieve. And you know the saying. You can dress it up and put lipstick, lipstick on a pig, but in the end, it's still a pig. Funerals are not celebrations. As believers, we are given a, a tremendous advantage we have a hope that will sustain us through our time of weeping and grief as we look forward to a life beyond this life. But make no mistake about it. Verse 12 lays it out clearly. The consequences of sin is death. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. As a result of Adam's transgression, death spread to all. Everyone. Adam is the representative head of humanity. I'm not sure if you saw the video clips on the news earlier this week of the Iranians, Iranians chanting at the funeral of that general that President Trump gave the order to eliminate. Death to America. Death to America. And the chant went on. But wait a minute. 
Shouldn't it be death to Trump? Death to Trump? He's the one that made the order. Or death to the Trump administration? Or maybe even death to the Republican Party? But no. Because President Donald J. Trump is the representative head of the United States of America, it was death to America. His decision to kill their political leader implicated America. It was America's decision. Our oldest son, Josiah, went to school at Dallas Theological Seminary in Dallas, Texas. There he met Patricia. They were married. And in his final year of a four-year degree program, we welcomed the arrival of our first grandson, Jonah. Following his graduation, they moved to Swift Current, and a couple of years later, thanks to Lou Warat, he made his way to Oakville, Ontario, where he's now the pastor of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. But in the process, produced three more grandchildren along the way. Jonah is an American citizen. But because his dad, their representative head, moved to Canada, the rest are all Canadians. Because Adam moved into a state of sin as a result of his transgression, all of his ancestors become sinners, are born sinners. As the representative head of humanity, Adam's sin became our sin. And I know we're immersed in a culture that promotes autonomy and individuality in such a way that you and I may find that hard to accept. But that doesn't make it any less true. Listen carefully to these words from Genesis chapter 5 and verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth in his own likeness, according to his own image. Adam, the father of humanity, created less than perfect people, who created less than perfect people, who created less than perfect people, who created less than perfect people, until it all comes to you and me, who create less than perfect people, who will create less than perfect people until the end. Earlier in the book of Romans, in chapter 3, verse 23, it reads, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, 
But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We'll come back to that second half of Romans chapter 6, verse 23 in just a few moments. But for now, the wages of sin is death. And that refers to both a physical death and a spiritual death. Spiritual death refers to a relational separation from God. Sin makes us enemies of God. According to verse 10 of Romans chapter 5. And notice here in Romans chapter 5 again and verse 12. Paul is not referring to acts of sin. How could he be? It says, all have sinned, and yet all have not even been born when Paul wrote those words. This is really, really important that we understand. We do not become sinners when we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Think about that. We do not become sinners when we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We're all born in Adam's likeness. In his image, we are born sinners. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 51, verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. New Living Translation reads, For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment of my mother conceived me. But Paul, what about the law? And Paul's response, what about the law? Look at verses 13 and 14. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in, his, in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. As a result of Adam's transgression, sin predated the law. Specific sin was not charged to our account. That's what imputed means, to charge to someone's account. But that did not make them any less sinners. They did not break specific commands of God as Adam did, or as the text says, in the likeness of the offense of Adam, his was a deliberate act of his will in violating what God had commanded them. They did not do that because the law had not yet been given, but that did not make them any less guilty or less an enemy of God. What was the purpose of the law then? Why give the law? Turn the lights on. So that we could see ourselves for who we really are. Galatians chapter 3 verse 24 spells it out. The law has become our tutor. 
our tutor, our schoolmaster, to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. That's it. The law was actually a gift from God so that we might become aware of our own sinful nature. Just before we move on to the second point, notice the last phrase of Romans chapter 5 and verse 14. Who is a type of him who is to come. The Greek word translated type here is tupos. And translated in other places, it uses several different kinds of English words like example, model, pattern, image. The idea here in Romans chapter 5, verse 14, is that Adam foreshadowed or symbolized in some way, maybe was a, a prototype to a degree of the one who was to come, namely Jesus. Of course, Adam foreshadowed Jesus in the sense that both of them were initially sinless from the beginning. And most significantly, their acts had consequences for all of humanity. As a result of Adam's transgression, Jesus' one-for-many act was foreshadowed. Beloved, we have a problem. Adam's transgression delivered inescapable guilt. That is the truth. You and I are born sinners. There are no exceptions. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God the standard of perfection that he requires for relationship with him. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. For sure, some live more restrained lives than others, no question. But Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6 tells us, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us, each one of us, have turned to our own way. And the first step towards solving any problem is admitting that we have one. Own it. Own it. Personally. Our Father who is in heaven, I am a sinner from the moment of my conception. On my own, I am incapable of living a life that can please you. No more blaming others. No more excuses. No more lying to ourselves or to others. No more denying it or ignoring it. No more suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Own it personally. Look at that person in the mirror. And admit what the Bible says about you is absolutely true. Although created in the image of God, at the very core of the, our being, we are sinners, lost, spiritually dead, 
separated from God, his enemies. Admit that we have a problem is often the most difficult step towards arriving at the solution. Notice verse 15 begins, but. And but introduces a contrast. But the free gift is not like the transgression. In other words, the effect of Jesus' act on people was totally different than Adam's act of disobedience and its impact on people. Point one was man's problem. Adam's transgression delivered inescapable guilt. And point two is God's solution. Jesus' free gift delivered incomparable grace. You're aware of the acronym for grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. There are many expressions of God's grace referred to in Scripture. In scripture. Some are, are common to all people through all time. The Apostle Paul made reference to this kind of grace in Acts chapter 14. The people of Lystra wanted to worship him and Barnabas because he had healed the lame, lame, lame man. They came out wanting to worship him. And Paul responds with this. Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you. Preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them. In the generations gone by, and here it is, common grace, he permitted all the nations to go their own way. Permitted that. And yet he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. That's common grace. Permitting us to go our own way and yet still giving us good things for our enjoyment. Things that we do not deserve and can never earn. Jesus in John chapter 14 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is a grace that is accessible to many of us because of his sacrifice. Look at verse 15 again. But the free gift is not like the transgression, For if by the transgression of one many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The free gift is going to be mentioned again in verse 16. But it was also referred to in a verse that I read earlier. Remember? John chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Free for us, but certainly not for him. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant 
in my blood. Do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me. God's saving grace is accessible to each and every one of us who will respond in faith, believing that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection paid the penalty that we deserved. Notice verse 16. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. As a result of Jesus' free gift, the verdict is reversible. Adam's transgression, the choice of a single individual, resulted in condemnation for the entire human race. But Christ, one act of obedience for the sins of many people was sufficient to bring justification to all those who will believe in him. The divine verdicts have been delivered. But as a result of Jesus' act of obedience at Calvary, the giving of his life, our condemnation because of inherent sin as a result of Adam's one act of transgression can be reversed. Our justification is possible. And then finally we come to verse 17. For if by the transgression of one death reigned through the one, much more those who received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. As a result of Jesus' free gift, becoming winners is a possibility. Maybe victors would have been a better word to use here, but it had already been typed, so I couldn't change it. The point is, as a result of Adam's transgression, death reigned. Reigns over mankind. Have you been to a cemetery lately? It's 100%. Doesn't matter rich, poor, big, small, famous, unknown, healthy, unhealthy, givers, takers, young and old, they're all there. But those who receive the grace of God made available in Christ alone will reign in life through him. Certainly, that is a reference to eternal life. Life beyond this life. Life with God forever. But it also could encompass life in the here and now. You see, Jesus claimed to have come so that his followers, the sheep of his pasture, might have life and have it more abundantly. Believe it and celebrate it. Look back at verse 8. Here in Romans chapter 5. But God demonstrates his own love toward us 
in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Own your sinfulness. Own it. And then by faith, by faith, confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. For it's with the heart, with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With his mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And then come to the table. Come to the table and celebrate God's solution. The free gift of God's incomparable grace represented by the bread and by the cup. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your solution to our problem. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But you have caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Grace. Grace. God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace. Grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.